Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Coming up on Believe in Soccer, it's Seattle versus Columbus for the MLS Cup Championship. For the crew, a pragmatic conference final victory. For the Sounders, a comeback for the ages. MLS names its 25 greatest players. Yeah, we take issue with it. Plus, the U.S. men's national team closes the curtain on the year 2020. The Shep Messing Podcast begins now. Racing for the showdown at Moffrey Stadium in Columbus Saturday night, MLS Cup 2020. With Chet Messing, I'm Steve Cangelosi. The crew will seek its second ever MLS Cup title. The Sounders will seek their third, but with 15 minutes remaining in their Western Conference final versus Minnesota, perhaps you said no shot. 20 minutes later, I said I just watched one of the five greatest games in MLS history. Their coach, Brian Schmetzer, said afterwards, don't ask me how we won it. I don't know. Shep, why don't you take a shot at that question? What a win. <laughs> Brian Schmetzer, I don't know. I, I tell you, Steve, I agree with you. Uh, that was a scintillating playoff game. We've seen all different kinds of games. But that game, Minnesota United, I mean, wow, they came out of the gate. They played well. They're up by two goals or about 15 minutes to – I never would have thought that Seattle could come back, but look, you talked about the talent on that team. The talent came through, and and really, Will Brune, when he came into the game, you talk about how managers make substitutions. Well, they always want a guy who could come in and make an impact, and, and Will Brune did it. Ladera, of course, was Ladera on the final goal, corner kick, but... Look, that team never quits, uh, and that, that was a spectacular win. Uh, so much of the analysis of this game had to do with Minnesota running out of gas, tired at the end, but the second and third goals were scored on set pieces. That will haunt Adrian Heath's side for months. This was their game to win. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up because you know me over the years, and I'm not a big data guy. Uh, analytics, but I am when it comes to defending set pieces, corner kicks in particular. And and you look at that final goal. Svensson makes the run to the near post, right? They're playing zonal marking. I mean, our good friend Brian Dunseth, I agree with him. You got a man mark. You really do. But teams go with the flavor of the month. A lot of teams in Major League Soccer right now are going with a combination of man marking and zone. They put their four big guys right at the edge of the six-yard box. They play a zone. Everybody else is man for man. As a former goalkeeper, that doesn't fly for me. It's man for man. Find your guy, mark up, give him a bump. I'll add one other point in terms of data and analysis. There's irrefutable data that on a corner kick that you're defending, if you put a guy at one post or at both posts, you're going to decrease the likelihood of the opposition scoring. Why don't coaches do it? You know me in terms of psychology. They're afraid that if they put one guy at the post, and remember on that Svensson goal, if they had a guy at the far post, it's no goal. Mm -hmm. It's cleared off the line. Why don't they do it? psychologically they think well if i put a guy or two on the post i'm going to leave somebody open do the math 
you're not going to leave anybody open. There's one guy taking the corner kick. The other thing teams do on defending corner kicks, lately they bring everybody back. Don't bring everybody back. Leave your target striker at the midfield stripe. That's going to leave one or two defenders back there with them. So I'm overanalyzing it. It was a great goal, a great corner kick set piece, the flick header. That's a spectacular one. No, that's a perfect breakdown. What Seattle did was rare. Uh, No team had come back from two goals down to win an MLS 90-minute playoff game since Real Salt Lake did it to Columbus. That was in 2009. Down 2-0, the players have to channel something that not everyone can. This was Will Bruin, whose 75th-minute goal started the comeback. You know, we go down 2-0. Some teams, maybe they just say, ah, shit, it's over. We're not going to come back. It's too hard. The circumstances are too tough. But you can feel in this squad that guys are like, all right, let's, let's do or die time now. we got to go. And I think you can see that everybody stepped up a little bit. Everybody turned on a little more. And, um, you know, and I think that just speaks to the volume of, of our whole squad. So we go overboard sometimes giving coaches credit for substitutions, I think. Some are obvious choices. We expected to see Will Bruin in this game, right? The game winner was scored by a player who entered as a sub who had not yet played in the 2020 playoffs in Svensson. You don't want your best players disappearing at this time of year either. The Sounders' best players have not. Raul Rui Diaz had the tying goal. That was one of his eight shots on the night. So Schmetzer's big talent are really the ones carrying him through this when you get down to nuts and bolts. And Steve, you and I and everybody else has been watching all the playoff games, and I think that's been the case across the board in these playoffs. The big players have to step up, and for the most part, they've been doing it. Uh, look, Reynoso with his goal on the, on the set piece for Minnesota, uh, you need your big-time players to produce. That's why they get paid the money. And, and don't underestimate, I never do the, the job that Brian Schmetzer has been doing. He's, he, he's not a charismatic guy. He's not out there with witty quotes. He's done a superb job over a number of years. And, and if, I, if I'm correct, he's a free agent right now. So, you know, yeah. if you're Seattle, go sign the guy. Pay him the money. Well, no team has won MLS Cup in consecutive seasons since Bruce Arena's L.A. Galaxy in 2011 and 2012. If you were part of a win like theirs on Monday, uh, do you see yourself a team of destiny or does does the slate have to completely be wiped clean for the next and final hurdle? Because you played in how many cup finals, four or five, and you won every one of them? Yeah, Steve, I did. I was fortunate enough to be on good teams, five championship games and and five championship rings it gets harder and harder i can tell you from experience to keep doing it so i I think as well as seattle has done over the last four or five years every game gets more difficult you got that target on your back columbus and all the coaches say hey we're the underdog but columbus they're playing at home some poetic justice in terms of map-free stadium, the first stadium ever being built. Last year, the team was looked like they were going to lose it. So I think Seattle, every game is more pressure the more you keep winning. The Columbus crew are in the final for the first time since 2015 when they lost MLS Cup on their home field to Portland 2-1. to one. They last won the Cup on a neutral site versus the Red Bulls. That was 2008. Their conference final victory was also a one-goal win, and the lone goal was scored by Arter with an assist from Jonathan Mensah. 
They missed the playoffs last year, we forget. And now in his second season with the club, Caleb Porter takes them to the final. Was their win impressive or not? Yeah, I, you know, that's a great question, Steve, because you can look at it like everything else in life. You can look at it two ways. Easy to say no. It, it wasn't impressive. One goal by Arthur. Uh, but Bruce Arena put it well after the game. He said, look, we were outplayed. <laughs> Make no no doubt about it. They were the better team. So, you know, it wasn't a fluke win. And, and the flip side, if you're Caleb Porter, you love to be able to close a team down, get a shutout, score one goal, get a win. We always talk about defense winning championships. So Caleb Porter has to be very happy about the way they won that game. Well, the rule of thumb, I think, even in this age of Tam and Gam, use your designated player slots wisely. And they have done that with Lucas Celereon, haven't they? He's made a big difference this year. You know, again, we talk about the ebb and flow, the flavor of the month in terms of formations and tactics, how teams play. All of a sudden, there's a resurgence in the number 10 position. And that's what Zellerion has really brought to the team. He's that, he's that classic number 10 playmaker. Spray the ball around, get forward, change the pace and, and tempo of the game, and make that, that final killer pass. So a lot of teams all over the world and in Major League Soccer are now going back to playing that number 10, that central playmaker. He's been the man for Columbus. Caleb Porter's team gets the shutout with second string goalkeeper Andrew Tarble playing for the still recovering Aloy Room. I'm going to ask you in a moment if it's the right thing to do to go back to Room, your number one for the final, if his quarantine comes to an end. But either goalkeeper will have a tremendous defensive-minded team in front of them. And that starts even with the crew's attacking players, according to Coach Porter. It's difficult to find good attacking players that are going to also uh, work their asses off defensively and grind and fight and tackle and do all those little things that you need to do to win games. Um, and I don't think anybody can look at our team and say we don't play good football. You know, we're fun to watch, we're exciting, we keep the ball, we pass, we create chances, we're aggressive, we press, and, um, you know, credit goes to the players because, you know, they bought in, the new players have come in and enhanced our team, and uh, we're now in a final, and we're going to have to have a very good performance to win that game because we're going to be playing uh, an extremely good team. So the decision, if it has to be made, room or tarble, Saturday night and goal if each one is available. What do you think? And no brainer for me, it's room and goal. You know, we joke the the goalkeepers union. At one time in my career, I had a business card that had my hands, two gloves up, and it said hands for hire. And what it really means is for a goalkeeper, you could fly him in day of the game, throw him between the posts, and he's gonna get the job done. There was one year I played in Rochester. And I love the Rochester Lancers, but I refused to live there. So I lived in, in New York on Long Island, and I'd fly up for a practice, one practice during the week, and then I'd fly up day of the game, hands for hire. So for, for me, if you're Caleb Porter, you put the big guy room, throw him, throw him right back on the field, he'll be comfortable. I don't want to get off track. That had to be a hard negotiation for you, though, wasn't it? <laughs> 
<laughs> it was a difficult negotiation. Really, they they couldn't believe what I was what I was asking for. So, but look, I was at the height of my career, so I had some juice. I actually made them sign my younger brother, Roy, as my backup. So, just in case I missed the plane, at least my brother would get to play. <laughs> the the latest we hear at the time we record this podcast is that 1500 fans will be permitted to attend MLS cup final in Columbus. So that's enough to make some noise. And the locals in Ohio will tell you it's only partial justice for the city that three years ago came close to having this team taken away. Uh, decision time here for you who wins and what kind of game do you expect Saturday night? Well, you know, full, full, confession i picked the last two wrong i picked new england i picked minnesota uh, and and i picked them with my heart not with my head i was rooting for both of them this one i'll, I'll try and pick with my head my heart wants columbus <laughs> i'm tired of seattle so i'd like columbus to win i think seattle wins the game i think i think really that home field advantage steve We've talked about it all year. 1,500 fans is great. But I think, and I, I, you know me because we broadcast together, I, I always drew my sheets up and I, I switch them around. I put it on paper. I look at the individual matchups in the game. And I like the individual matchups in terms of who Jordan Morris is facing on his side of the field. Who's going to match up with Ladero? So when you put that starting 11 on paper and you, you match it up really in terms of the individual 1v1 battles, mm -hmm. I think they favor Seattle. Can Columbus win? Absolutely. But I, I, I think I favor, I favor Seattle because of those individual matchups. Right, we want to get to the United States in a minute. Some business in the week leading up to MLS Cup, though. Toronto has the league MVP, Alejandro Pazuelo. I think we both had him winning. There was no surprise there, correct? Absolutely. He was the man. Okay. Uh, MLS named its 25 greatest players. Bradley Wright Phillips is the only player on the list to play the majority of his career with the Red Bulls. Tony Miola played roughly half of his MLS career with the franchise. Noticeably absent was Thierry Henry. That's not right. <laughs> Steve, uh, I, these things are... Look, I like them, the fans like them, these things, these votings, these Hall of Fame, top 25. It's so subjective. And, and we always come back to the same question. Who in the world is voting? I mean, who's doing the voting? I, I don't know. I'm looking on Twitter and some journalist I never heard of is, is voting. So I think when I didn't vote, I, I guess we were not offered that opportunity <laughs> just for total, total transparency here. Okay? Yeah. But for me, Thierry Henry absolutely uh, has to be included in, in that list. I, I saw somebody writing, maybe he got somebody angry at the league office. But look, I'm sure Thierry Henry is not bothered by it, but he should be in that group. Right, the league is trying to couch this as the greatest influence on the league. And I still think uh, that on that basis, Henri gets it before even a league MVP like Javinko. I'm sorry. Or Joseph Martinez, who I think has been terrific for this league, the face of the league before his ACL injury, but whose numbers were padded by penalties. He, he's not the player Thierry Henry was. No, this, and again, what are the criteria? Look, no player I like better in the history of Major League Soccer than Steve Ralston. 
but it, you put Steve Ralston and Thierry Henry, and I don't, I don't want to denigrate Steve Ralston. I mean, great, great player, pioneer. Long, longer yeah. career too. There's, there's, you know, obviously there's a bigger, bigger body of yeah. work. Right? And, and and you mentioned Joseph Martinez. Look, how long has he been around? And yeah, he was the face of the league. You mentioned the penalty kicks. Look, this this debate could go on forever. But Thierry Henry is not bothered by it. Taylor Twelman's another one to me that should have been considered. Uh, Don Garber, MLS commissioner, gave his state of the league address on Tuesday. Two things stood out for me. When Garber said the league cannot sustain another season such as this with a roughly $1 billion loss, he fielded questions. This one was asked by Washington Post reporter Stephen Goff, who wondered if the league might wait until fans in MLS markets are allowed to attend matches again to start the 2021 season. Nobody has that magic date, right? And it will vary state by state uh, and province by province. Uh, so we need to make a schedule uh, for all the reasons that you would expect. We can't wait for an understanding of the impact on the vaccine, not only on the vaccination of hopefully uh, the entire country uh, and, and all of both countries in the United States and Canada. We're not going to know that. Uh, we have to set a schedule prior to that. We're also not going to know what reaction fans have to returning to stadiums. So just the idea that the vaccine is available does not give us an indication as to when, in quote, fans will be returning to stadiums. We've established this March time frame because what we do know is that uh, uh, FIFA has, uh, through CONCACAF, has laid out uh, their dates. CONCACAF has uh, laid out in uh, the 2021 Champions League dates. We've not yet uh, finalized what's happening with the U.S. Open Cup, and we've got to address the fact that the Open Cup wasn't played in 2020, and we're trying to play as many games as possible because it's not just about fans. It's about are we going to be able to retain uh, as much of our sponsor and uh, and media revenue. So, you know, we obviously have a lot of work to do uh, what we can do, say here today, is evaluating this as we speak. We will continue to do that. We understand we're going to need some flexibility, uh, but we're not going to be able to wait to make a decision until uh, somebody decides uh, that uh, you know fans will be able to attend uh, stadiums. That that is a date that is so uncertain at this point. Translation: MLS is targeting an early to mid-March return. A schedule is going to be released, but not much is set in stone here. There's something to keep in mind, Shep. There's a lot of soccer next year, a lot that wasn't played this year. The Euros, the Gold Cup. It appears an effort will be made to play the U.S. Open Cup as well. MLS is going to lose players to Olympic qualifying and maybe the Olympics themselves. There's going to be a lot to cram in here and all these decisions i think are very very fluid and could be changed in a matter of days or weeks yeah 100 percent, right steve and i don't remember in my history ever seeing a season a year of soccer so congested you mentioned all the tournaments going on players are going to be leaving left and right so don garber i think with a very intelligent measured response to that question i think and we've talked about it before uh he's done a great job the league has done a fantastic job navigating unprecedented times and look it, it's a sport as you well know that is more dependent on fan revenue 
than the NBA or NFL or Major League Baseball. So Don Garber is is monitoring it. it yeah, I think you got to put a schedule out. And as you said, it's going to be fluid. All right, the United States closes the year with a 6 nothing win over El Salvador. Uh, you told me in the setup to this podcast before that game, we have to talk about Weston McKinney. So here's your chance. Go ahead. What a goal. Yeah, yeah my chance, because I don't want to talk about the USA-El Salvador game. Uh, you know, a fun little friendly for players that might not see the field again. Weston McKinney, you and I have broadcast together as a partnership for a, a long time, and you've helped me. And hopefully I've helped you. One of the things a color analyst always has to do is why. Explain why. You make the call, Cangelosi, and the analyst explains why. So it's easy to say, great goal, right? We're all saying, great goal. Wow, great goal. I want to try and explain why. Because it was a terrific goal. But if you look at the buildup and the elements of that goal, Weston McKinney at the edge of the area makes the right decision, looks out, to the right, plays a nice pass perfectly. I think it's Quadrado, but he made the right decision. Edge of the area, flicks that ball out to the right. Then second, we talk about anticipation or soccer IQ or intelligence. As soon as he releases the ball, he's got to decide where do I make my run? Do I make my run to the left, to the back post? Do I go to the near post? But he looks up, he digests what's in front of him, and he right, runs right up the gut, right right down the middle of the field to the edge of the six-yard box. Then the ball is played in. And, and that full volley, that scissor kick, his body, if you watch that over and over, and I did, it's reminiscent of, of what I did with Pele for many years. And this is why I'm telling you it's a great goal. Pele, at the end of practice, he's 35 years old, End of practice every day, I had to stay in goal 20 minutes with him. And what did he do? He'd have a guy out wide to the right, whip a ball in, and 10 times he's hit the ball with the right foot on the full volley. Then he'd do the same thing from the left side. So that goal that Weston McKinney scored, he showed his soccer intelligence, he showed his athleticism, and it showed me that he's worked a thousand hours on doing it. It's not the first time he struck a ball like that. And it's because of all of those things that I thought it was a great goal. Okay, McKinney, none of the European-based players were part of the United States win over El Salvador 6 nothing. A five more U.S. players debut, including the Red Bulls' Kyle Duncan. Chris Mueller debuted. He scored two goals. He assisted on two others. Io Akinola scores in his debut. There were goals by Aronson, Leggett, Ariola as well. Uh, this is after a 6-2 win versus Panama in Europe with a different cast of players. Give Greg Berhalter this. He said, these results don't help us in 2021. What's your main takeaway from the United States running over El Salvador in Orlando? Yeah, look, I understand any game, Steve, is better than no game. And it's always good to get new names into the team. Uh, just for them to get acclimated, but you got to play better teams. <laughs> you must play better teams. If you're going to get better, you have to play better teams. You could play El Salvador or Panama a hundred times leading up to a World Cup, not going to get you anywhere. Janusz Mahalik, I'll never forget, once told me when there was criticism that we're playing Mexico too many times, that, that the, 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 the luster has come off the rivalry. 
He said, I'd play them 12 times a year. It's the only time you know what you have on your team. <laughs> <laughs> He's, Janish is 100% correct. You, you gain nothing by playing minnows. You've got to play up. All right. Uh, a long uh, time without seeing the European-based players mix with the MLS guys. So that's obviously going to be one of the big stories in the coming year. I'll end with this. Uh, Jesse Marsh fell short of taking Red Bull Salzburg to the Champions League group stage. Uh, that dream ended with a 2 nothing loss to Atletico at home. Tyler Adams and RB Leipzig, though, defeat Manchester United to advance to the round of 16. Adams came off the bench. He's part of, I'll just say this, he is part of one of the world's most exciting teams under Julian Nagelsmann. Steve, we're not even flabbergasted anymore, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, the way they play, and go back to Jesse Marsh, they play the same way. I mean, I thought against Atletico, the first 20 minutes, they came out flying. I thought if they could only get a goal, they dominated, had Atletico pinned back in their own end. So both Leipzig and Red Bull Salzburg, their style of play, and hopefully we see it, one day next season at Red Bull Arena, their style of play is exciting and it's fun to watch. All right. Uh, lastly, you like Seattle. Do you want to guess a scoreline? Just in case you're right, you can brag about it in our final podcast. If you, want. <laughs> I, you, you know, I never do this. I'm only doing it for you. One nothing. I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game. I really don't. I think both teams are going to fight hard. And I think Seattle gets a goal probably on a set piece. We'll talk to you when it's done. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.